Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Fox Nomad Podcast. I'm your host, Fox Nomad, and we'll pull out. Let me just adjust my microphone here. Happy New Year to all of you. I hope you're doing very well. It is the first episode. We are back now. Took a little bit of a break, but I'm hoping to make up some episodes between now and the end of the season. And uh, let's see, let me catch you up on some stuff. We've got CES happening. We've got some travel plans happening. We've got some new videos out on the channel. So before we dive into the topic of this episode, which is going to be a little bit of a different one, it's sort of a deep dive into the problems with Boeing, but we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But first, I want to catch you up on a couple of things. One, CES is happening right now. Um, some of the news out of there, a lot of AI tech uh, from Samsung, the little AI ball that kind of follows you around and maybe does some tasks for you. Um, LG has a pretty cool screen out. It's it's a see-through screen. This is a see-through television screen. Um, I'm looking up the specs now, but you know, it's it, those are kind of the main ones. We at CES we get a lot of screen tech, uh, so that's a transparent OLED, which is really fascinating. It looks amazing. However, I don't know if it's going to be necessarily the best thing to watch TV on because it really depends on what kind of wall you have on the back, like what what the situation is behind the TV, because you can see literally you can see right through it. Um, so yeah, so I'm not at CES this year. Uh, I It's taken a few years since COVID for it to kick back up, to be honest with you. And a lot of the announcements that go out on CES have really just kind of taken over and become their own events. So uh, Samsung has their own event. Apple has always tried, or at least recent, in recent years, tried to upstage CES. And they've done that with the release date of the uh, the Apple Pro. So the VR headset They've done that and a, a couple of other things. So CS isn't what it once was. As, as an event to attend, it's super fun. And I think it costs a couple hundred bucks to attend uh, two days of CES. Um, but it is absolutely massive. There's absolutely no way you can see all of it. Super extensive. Uh, really a lot of fun, actually. I think I'm going to go next year. I think I'm putting Las Vegas on my plans for... 2025. Wow, man. Can't believe just saying 2025. Speaking of though, I do have travel plans. I will I will let you know as those get closer, but the goal this year is to go to at least 10 new countries. I am creeping up on the 193 visit every country goal. And so I'm trying to knock out a few more this year and still a lot of easy ones to get to. Easy in terms of both, you know, logistics, visas, safety, um, so there are a couple of more difficult ones. <laughs> I don't know if I'll be able to get to those in the next two years, but, but you know, uh, a couple of surprises also coming up, a couple of challenging places. There's one in mind that I'm trying to put together and I'm hoping that I can make it work. It might be one of the craziest plans I've had, but, um, yeah, we're putting, putting things together. I'll let you know about it after that happens. But uh, yeah, so so that's kind of what's been going on. I've been really in the middle of the tech season, putting out a bunch of videos, a lot of tech between, really between October and the end of the year. That's when, you know, sort of the channel fires up with tech and we, we move over from traveling to tech. And uh, so we were talking a lot about 
cameras, headphones, a couple of things I just want to note real quick. We're going over tech season before we dive into the, to the topic this year. Um, my picks for 2023 tech that really impressed me, things that you might want to get. I, I have to give one to the Bose Quiet Comfort Ultra earbuds. They make look the the rate. So this is now the third generation of Bose Quiet Comfort earbuds. The first generation was good. It was clunky. It was just like not a great form factor. Bose literally took all the complaints about that and came out with version two and made it way better. The noise canceling on those headphones is absolutely incredible. I mean, like you know, you put those earbuds in. And the the sound of jet engines, trains, whatever, just it, it makes your commute. You know, if you're taking the subway in, it just it drowns out the outside world. The over-ear pair are, are, are basically the king. It's them and Sony, but I give a slight edge to the Bose, honestly. I think they have better noise cancellation. But the earbuds were fantastic. And now Bose have come out with the Quiet Comfort Ultra, which are the same form factor. They're in a lot of ways the same, but they come with this uh, gyroscopic chip. What that does is it allows for what they call immersive audio, very similar to Apple AirPods Pro, where when you turn your head left and right, it's like the sound is surrounding you. So it's like being in an orchestra hall, as opposed to listening to an orchestra on high, you know, high quality speakers. Really, really amazing. I thought, I was like, oh, they're just adding one feature and same battery life. Even actually has a little bit less battery life. It's like an hour less battery life when it's in immersive mode. Uh, one feature, is that really going to make a difference? Oh, yeah, it does. And on top of that, they've also tweaked the sound quality. It's clear the bass is better. The EQ options you have in the app are a little bit better. It overall, is just better. And they were on sale for $250. I've seen them as those two twenty nine. They're probably back up to the regular price as of yesterday. I think it's two ninety nine. But man, those are some great, great earbuds. I really like those. Um, also, a couple of other things I want to talk about real quick. Some of my favorite luggage of the year. Number one is the Osprey Sojourn one hundred. I have recently switched luggage again, back to Osprey, which had been my main bag for the last twelve years, and now. I'm pretty much all Osprey, except for the Air Travel Pack 2. Yeah, so uh, that review is out. Great piece of luggage. If you need something on the bigger side, if you go camping, hiking, or you travel with a lot of gear, or maybe you've got a jiu-jitsu gi with you that you cannot freaking pack comfortably into your bags, that's a good one. Ridge have made, if you want something smaller, Ridge have made a... Ridge is a company that you may know for slim wallets. Well, they've started making luggage. I know, it's pretty weird. They have a commuter backpack, which is pretty good. You know, I, I think that the next version of that could be better. I think it's sort of in between commuting and a travel bag. But what they really nailed here is the carry-on. Like they just call it the carry-on. It's a four-wheel luggage. You've, you've probably seen those, you know, just four wheels that can go in all directions. It is like the high-quality, rugged version of that looks super sleek. The design is excellent. The build quality is fantastic, like freaking great. It's small, portable, really, really a good piece of gear. So uh, two of my favorite things out of the last year. And I'll, I'll go with one more aside from the Sony a7C, which is my new main mirrorless camera that I'm using. I, I love that camera. It's, it's great. Um, 
So if you're looking for a mirrorless camera, A7C, the most portable full-frame camera that you can get right now. Well, maybe not if you compare it to, you know, let's just say it is basically the A7C, no, A7 four and A7C two body. So it gives you a little bit of that. Uh, I like that, you know, full frame, bigger cameras, more powerful tech is getting smaller. That's one. And the last thing of the year, some of my best tech of 2023, my favorite tech of 2023 is the Insta Ace 360 Pro. Now it is their action camera that has two features, which I think are fantastic. And I think I'm gonna be using that camera a lot more. It has, it basically looks like a GoPro. It's the same form factor, that same sort of rectangular box, but it has a flip up screen, which is amazing for vlogging, super useful, better than the front facing screen that the GoPros have. I think you'll start seeing a front facing screen on a lot of action cameras, just because it is so incredibly useful. And it also has an AI chip in it, which it does a lot of cool things. And you, you may have you may have seen the demos of it sort of creating like these cool anime animations and stuff. But listen, all of that doesn't really matter. It's got a one and one third inch sensor and it uses this AI chip for incredible low light quality. Like if you haven't seen it, you check out the the, the video on my YouTube channel my review of the Ace Pro, but it makes night footage look really good. And I don't mean just cranking up the exposure. I don't know quite how it does it. It's taking multiple layers of the images that it's recording and it's balancing out, both detecting like a human face or human faces or pets or animals. So it kind of knows what to adjust for, what to focus on, what lights bring up. And it's not grainy at all. Compared with my phone, and I think iPhone does pretty good. I think the Pixels, Pixel 8 does a great job in low light, but this blows them out of the water. Really one of my favorite pieces of tech. Couple of, I mean, it's good for vlogging, less for action. I'll just say it for that. I think if you still want an action camera, you gotta go GoPro, but I think the Ace Pro is, is a sign of cameras to come in the future. I really, really do. And uh, let's see. All right, so that's catching you up on what's been happening. Now today, I wanna to take you through this journey of Boeing. So I wanna deep dive into what what is going on with Boeing. And, and the reason I bring that up is because you've probably heard of Alaska Airlines 1282 as of, you know, a couple days ago where the, you know, the side panel of the plane just blew off. The window and the side panel of the plane just blew off. And we're gonna get into that, but this is a 737-9 MAX plane. And that is the third version of the MAX. There was a 737 MAX 7, 737-8 MAX 8, and now the 9. And the 7 and the 8 both had fatal accidents where everybody on board was killed. And I want to talk about what is going on with Boeing. Like, why are these things happening? And I, I think... You know, you might be thinking like, oh, okay, well, it's just three, three accidents, right, in this small amount of time. But it's actually a really uh, significant jump in terms of how accident-prone that particular model of jet is. So prior to this, the 737s had a 0.2 in a million fatal accident rate, and the Max have a four in a million ac fatal accident rate, which again is very low. 
and things like the you know the side of the plane blowing off on the Alaska Airlines flight is not a fatal accident so that wouldn't count but it's still 20 times worse so i want to take you through what's going on at Boeing and when i was researching this it actually turned out to be really very interesting i have a youtube video on my channel about this but i figured you know the podcast is a, the, the reason we have i created the podcast is cuz now we can really deep dive into these topics more where in a video it might be a little bit too long so let's talk about Boeing what is the problem with Boeing so Boeing essentially was formed in 1968 that's when they started making jetliner planes that's when the 737 came out there is Boeing history before this but you know let's go with kind of the high level history of the 737 in 1968. So the the 737 is the most popular jetliner that's ever been made. There are more of those that have been ordered, built and flown than any other jetliner in history. It is a very very successful model of plane. Chances are if you have been alive since 1968, if you are listening to this and you are old enough and you've taken a flight longer than let's say 4 hours, the chances that you have been on one model or another of the 737 is about 90%. They are very very popular planes. Now, Boeing at the time uh is is making the 737. It's very popular. It is a generally a larger class of jet. So, these are bigger planes that were built. They are very powerful larger planes. And in 1970, Airbus comes around. Okay? So, Airbus is essentially a European conglomerate. uh Spain, Germany, France. And they start making planes. But really Boeing doesn't have a lot of major competition. They end up both Airbus and Boeing, Boeing being an American company, they start uh buying up their competition and wouldn't you know it, over the years they essentially become a duopoly around the 1990s. They they buy out all of their competition. So now you've got Boeing making jetliner planes and then you've got Airbus, right? Okay, makes sense so far. Great. We're now in the 1990s. And Boeing is still making the 737, different versions of the 737, and it is a very very popular plane still. Now, what happens is Airbus prior to this starts making a narrow body plane. They start making a class of plane, the A320. These 320 class of planes are smaller they are narrow body jets and prior to this so if you were flying overseas you're taking long haul flights you were in a 747 or a big 737 you know like three rows with four rows with three rows one of those huge jets so airbus focuses on making narrow body jets which are smaller but they start using an engine called a high that has something called high bypass okay so the high bypass engine is like the same kind of engine you would see in the wings of a plane but it's bigger and wider it has a slightly different shape and prior to this Boeing wasn't using these kind of engines because it was thought that smaller and narrower engines would be more wind resistant and therefore more fuel uh economical <laughs> they'd be better on fuel efficiency because they were using engines that were not as big they didn't have as front of a face Well, it turns out that the high bypass engines are super fuel efficient. They're 25% more efficient 
than the previous engine models, the ones that Boeing is using. Not only that, they are 35% less noisy. They're more quiet. So you've probably noticed over the years that if you if you fly a lot and you take a lot of long-haul flights, especially, you probably notice that the planes that are going over the ocean, like those transatlantic flights or or maybe you're, you know, continent crossing, you probably notice that the actual planes themselves have gotten smaller. Like even for those like eight-hour flights, like the, the, the planes are not double-deckers or they're like three and three rows across or maybe like two, three and two, something like that. The planes have them, themselves have gotten smaller. And the reason for this is because airlines when they see that, you know, this reduction of fuel, this 25% savings in the fuel, they start buying the smaller planes. Now, they can fly smaller planes, which means they're easy, easier to fill up. You don't have as many empty seats on the flights, which, you know, kind of brings up the point of like, have you noticed how many people started getting bumped from flights lately? I don't know if I have no statistical data on this. I tried to look it up, but I don't know if it's happening more or not. It, it's it's hard to find a good statistic, but I wonder if that might be a contributing factor because more planes being flown now are these narrow body planes. Anyway, so you save 25% fuel, which means if you're an airline, you can run the same flight more times, right? So before, if you were doing like a New York to London, as an example, and you were using a plane that was 25% less efficient, you might run that like once a week. 25% more savings, you can run them a couple more times a month. So you're using smaller planes that are more efficient, sending more planes back and forth. Oh yeah, bonus is the planes are also more full. They have less empty seats, which means you've filled out more of the seats. And because of that, you are now making more money. So the market starts shifting toward these narrow, uh, narrow body planes. And this is the first time in the 2010s when Airbus really starts overtaking Boeing when it comes, you know, they start really rivaling Boeing when it comes to plane orders. And in fact, right now, uh, Airbus has 62% of the narrow body jet market share, which is really big. And they also have that share of the airline backlog. So this is not just planes that are actually in production now, but also being ordered. So that fuel efficiency, that fuel economy uh, really starts changing the market of planes. So we get more narrow body planes, Airbus starts competing more directly with Boeing. But it's not just, you know, competition in the type of plane. It's competition in the market. The market starts shifting, right? So it's not just that Boeing is losing out on narrow bodies and still doing great with their larger planes. It turns out that the larger planes, which are less fuel efficient, harder to fill up, louder, not as comfortable, older designs, so on, just aren't as popular, right? So these airlines are buying up narrow body jets. Over time, they start replacing their fleets and they start using these larger jets less often. And then they go out of production and they start replacing them with narrow body jets. You also notice a lot of smaller airlines popping up because they can buy those smaller narrow body planes. You have smaller airlines. So there's more competition in the airline space. And this really starts affecting Boeing, they, they, they really start having some serious competition. And, you know, designing a plane from scratch is something that is very time consuming. And I don't mean like, oh, you get a couple of engineers, a couple of months together and they design the plane. I mean, this is something that takes years and years and years. So you've got to design a plane from scratch. 
doesn't really work like that, right? You've got to build on top of what you already have. You've got to go through the designs. You've got to shake out those designs over years on paper, simulations, computer models. Then you've got to create prototypes. Then you've got to test fly those prototypes. You've got to get those approved. You've got to get those approved for FDA approval for the second round. You've got to test those with test pilots, with different all kinds of situations you've got to do you know stress tests on the wings on the body all kind of things that takes a ton of time and boeing is in this situation where they're losing market share they're becoming less profitable and they don't have the 20 years it's going to take like remember it took airbus decades to catch up to boeing decades to catch up to boeing so for boeing to completely shift would be a very difficult task it just it just take time. Like, it's not impossible. It just takes time. And, you know, plane orders are placed way in advance, like years in advance. So it's not like, oh, you come out with plane whatever, and then boom, you know, your sales take off. I mean, it just takes time for to get these planes to production and so on and to get them sold. And, you know, the market isn't like, um, you know, people are ordering the planes in advance. So it's not like there's a huge opening all the time for plane sales. So it puts Boeing in this situation where they start using, they start building the 737 MAX, okay? So they continue the 737 line, but they create the MAX series in 2016. The 737 MAX is a narrow body jet. It is based on the previous designs that Boeing had, but it is going to use this high bypass engine, okay? so. The designs themselves are older and they're using the parts. And old doesn't necessarily mean bad, just means different in the case of engineering, right? So there are advantages to using designs which have existed for a while. You know how they work, you know how they will respond to various conditions, you know the parameters, you've seen a lot of real world tests. Um, however, you put on a new engine on, on, these, on these planes and issues start occurring. And just as a side note, you might be wondering, like, why didn't they just take the, you know, existing, those new engines and put them on the bigger planes? And the, the reason for that is the 737, the models of the larger planes, the wings are too low to the ground to fit in the larger engine. They would not have clearance to the ground. And also airports, planes are designed for specific air, airports are designed around specific planes. So you you can't just like lift up the landing gear of a, you know, whatever plane and then expect it to fit in when it's coming into an airport. You know, there are a lot of things that have to go into those, each airport, where they're going to park, how are passengers going to get in and off the plane, you know, the, the tunnels to the plane, all that stuff has to change. So it's not as easy as just putting on new engines on existing aircraft. Plus you have to then go through, retest everything, make sure that the plane can handle the new engines and so on and like i said this takes years so they start creating the 737 max with the high bypass engines high bypass engines are more powerful they give you more thrust so what boeing does is they they put these engines on the max and in order to fit them on the wings where these are designs that are a little bit older they put those wings uh, they put the engines further forward on the wing this causes more thrust. So the further up on the 
further forward you put the engine on the wing, the more thrust it gives. So the more thrust equals more power equals more lift. Now, to compensate for this, a couple of adjustments were made. One is moving the nose of the plane out further, adjusting the spacing of the landing gear. But there were certain situations that Boeing engineers had determined would cause the plane to lift up more than it should. So you're taking off the nose of the plane or in flight, but usually during takeoff would point up a little bit too much. And so to compensate for this, they they implemented something called the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, or MCAS. MCAS is a computer program that determines when the plane is pitched up too high, and then it attempts to autocorrect by forcing the nose down slightly. Okay? Now, typically, you know, the MCAS system would use two sensors. So how does the plane know it's pitched up? What is what data is the MCAS getting its, you know, where's the MCAS getting its data from? That's from these sensors. However, in the case of Boeing, they, as their internal memos show, they um, they determined that it was a very low likelihood that the plane would pitch up like that and MCAS would take over. So they didn't notify the pilots that the system existed, number one. Number two, they had it rely only on a single sensor. In other words, if the sensor malfunctioned or was fooled or was getting erroneous data, it could still trigger the MCAS. And then three, the MCAS was not in the pilot's manual. Pilots are trained for each kind of plane. They go through training, continual training for each plane. When a new feature or new functionality is added, they have to be trained on that so they know how to use everything in the plane for every situation. Well, Boeing didn't notify, didn't let pilots know about this MCAS. So in the case of Lion Air flight and Ethiopian Airlines flight in 2017, sorry, 2018 and 2019, that create, created fatal crashes during takeoff. So the plane is taking off. The MCAS detects that the jet might be pitched up too high and it forces the plane down. And in this case, those cases, it forced a nosedive Unfortunately, everybody on board was killed in both cases. And this raises a lot of questions. Number one, uh, why did Boeing not inform pilots that the MCAS was in use and what its behavior would be in certain situations? And why didn't they have it rely on multiple sensors rather than a single sensor? And according to reports by the Seattle Times and a couple of other outlets, Reuters included, Turns out that a lot of this was determined to be poor engineering, poor management decisions, and cost savings. So you have these two fatal crashes. It 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 shows that Boeing is not making the plane as robust as it needs to be, and designing these planes with these new engines has caused some issues. So let me find this report for you here. One of the uh, one of their own engineers of Boeing uh, in these leaked documents say it, quote, creates an inherent conflict of interest that have jeopardized the safety of the flying public. And another one, which is, this was released during the 737 MAX groundings, and it showed one employee describing the jet as, quote, designed by clowns who are in turn supervised by monkeys. Not really 
not really if you're in the public not really what you want to hear from the engineers designing the planes that you'll be flying on so the 737 7 and 8 are grounded this costs boeing over 21 billion dollars those planes are inspected it turns out that the faa the federal aviation administration of the united states has been relying on boeing engineers to do a lot of their to rely they're relying basically on their safety data from the boeing engineers in other words they're not doing their uh, completely independent investigation now this is called regulation creep this happens when you have a major company especially in a monopoly or duopoly you've got a big company and they're under regulatory pressure and it ends up that you know either their engineers are trusted by the regulatory bodies their former engineers are working at the regulatory bodies there are these you know connections that occur and some people have also suggested that you know Boeing be a U- being a US company there may have been some financial motivation of the FAA um that i've just heard in terms of of just you know there's been nothing i've found that is concrete on that but it's just kind of these these sort of reports that come out that indicate that 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 might be going on so you have these planes which haven't been thoroughly inspected there are these uh engineering decisions that are made which it seems like internally at Boeing are not universally agreed upon there's actually dissent and yeah so you have two fatal crashes of these planes that's 737-7 and 737-8 now there's a little bit more to this story but the 737-8 right now is the number one most ordered plane there are 4,500 of those on order so 4,500 of those are going into production. After the investigations, the those two type of planes, the 737 MAX 8 in particular, are back in the sky. They're, they're ready to fly. And corrections have been made to the MCAS system, and also pl- pilots have been trained on it. Okay, so that brings us to the Alaska Airlines flight. Now, the Alaska Airlines flight, sensors go off a couple of times, indicating that there may be issues with pressurization due to well, the, the, the cause is not determined. And the pilots in those cases reported that to maintenance crews who did not follow up and check on those warning lights. Now, the investigation is still going on, so we don't know why that occurred. It may be that they determined that uh, based on a specific set of sensor readings that it was not something that was critical. It may be that they thought there was an issue with the sensor. It may be negligence. We just don't know yet as of the time I'm recording this. And I think in the coming months, we'll learn a lot more. Um, However, it turns out that the bolts were loose. That's that's what we're hearing on this Alaska airline flight. So the bolts were loose on this plane. And that's ultimately what caused the structural failure. Fortunately, nobody was sitting in those two seats right next to to the window door panel that got blown out. Uh, a kid who was in seats nearby had his shirt sucked off. His mom was holding on to him. Uh, he was buckled, but to keep him in his seat. Uh, fortunately for the plane, it was only at 16,000 feet. And those planes, due to issues, the 737 MAX 9, were not allowed to fly over the ocean so that they would be able to get to an airport quickly if they had to. And I don't know about you, but none of this sounds... Uh, great, right? I mean, it sounds great in that everybody survived the plane, made a safe landing, but, you know, I think I think all of us can 
agree that any kind of travel, walking, <laughs> riding a bike, getting into a car, train, plane, all comes with some certain level of accepted risk, right? There's always risk. But when the risk is increased substantially, when an accident is caused due to negligence or poor engineering, that's just kind of a shame. That's avoidable errors. Um, I, I do want to kind of dive into here how the pilot, how she was able to land safely during an emergency. There's a couple of the the recordings have been released. And I, I just want to commend the pilots. You know, we, we a lot of times we we hear about these disaster stories and we focus on the kind of how people felt inside and the passengers, but the, the, the pilots really need to be commended for just a fantastic job of landing the, the plane, right? In these cases, there's so many of these cases and a lot of cases where just planes have, you know, hiccups in the sky and the, the pilots have to make decisions, maybe make an emergency landing or maybe, you know, make modifications when they're in the air. Pilots are always thinking about reducing turbulence, not because it's bad for the plane, but just to make your flight more comfortable. They know people don't like turbulence. All these things that the pilots are doing that you're not aware of. And ideally on a flight, you never really think about the pilot, right? Um, but, you know, we, we tend to forget that they're trained professionals. They're really, really, really good at their jobs. Like if you're flying, you know, one of these jet liners on passenger planes, you you know what you're doing. Um, and depending depending on where you got that pilot license, but I'd say 90%, 99% of them are really well trained. And uh, yeah, so uh, the, once the, the window blew out, the depressurization occurred, the Alaska Airlines pilot said, called in and to the uh, control tower, Seattle 1282, we just depressurized, we're declaring an emergency, we need to descend down to 10,000 feet, we just need to depressurize and we need to return back to Portland. The pilot again says, hey Portland, approach Alaska 1282, emergency aircraft, we're now leveling off at 12,000 feet and a left turn heading 340, air traffic control, 1282 for an approach, good afternoon, you still have information zero? Yeah, we do have the information zero. We'd like to get lower if possible. Air traffic control guides them and they're able to make an emergency landing. Our fuel is 18,900 pounds and we have 177 passengers on board, pilot says. Air traffic control, Alaska 1282, roger. Do you need time to turn? Do you need time to burn off some fuel before you land? Negative, says the pilot. Controller says, Alaska 1282, so you're ready for approach now. Runway 28 left, okay. We need about 10 minutes, Alaska 1282. Roger, let me know when you're ready. We'll let you know, Alaska 1282. The air traffic controller coming in a bit. Unreadable, very quiet. Only information we have is pressurization issue and 177 passengers and 18,900 pounds of fuel. As of right now, we do not know the intentions of the aircraft. Emergency aircraft will be at the next arrival. They're, two mile, they're on a two-mile final. You can expect access to the runway. So big, big kudos to the pilots for handling that situation as best as they can and getting everybody safely on the ground. And we don't even, like, we didn't even mention that the door panel that fell out and the two phones, iPhones that were, that were lost fell. Like one of them fell in the woods. The door fell in a guy's backyard in Oregon. I, luckily, nobody on the ground was hurt. But, you know, you don't think about that. I mean... Like how crazy, this is a backyard, you know, we're talking like a couple of meters one way or the other, and it could be hitting a house, car, traffic, somebody walking by, like, man, really lucky. Uh, also, the one of those iPhones was recovered. A couple of them have been recovered now. So 
The Verge has an article on how this how this phone survived. So I thought it was really interesting. A lot of people are asking, like, hey, I dropped my phone out of my pocket. I cracked the screen. How does this thing fall from 16,000 feet and be okay? Like, it doesn't even have a cracked screen. I mean, this phone looks brand new. It's in a case. Nothing too thick. It also has a screen protector on it. All right, granted, but still, if it fell out of it fell out of a freaking plane at sixteen thousand feet. So how did it survive? So here's what they're saying. So they the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, confirmed on Sunday that two phones have been recovered from the falling from falling from the Boeing seven thirty seven Max nine. One was found on the side of the road, and another was in a yard. In addition, a Portland school teacher found the fuselage plug itself in their backyard. So how could the phone still be intact? The terminal velocity explains it in part as the stopping or negative acceleration. Wired published an article in 2011, actually after an iPhone 4 dropped 1,000 feet from a plane and survived, as Wired wrote, when an object is falling, it eventually meets terminal velocity, the maximum speed it can reach before the resistance of the medium it's falling through, in this case, air counteracts gravity. In other words, things can only fall so fast here on our lovely planet Earth and everywhere else. But on Earth, there is a terminal velocity. You can only fall so fast due to the, the the gravitation of the planet. It limits, basically, essentially, it balances out how fast you're falling down and the wind resistance between you and the ground. So as the phone is falling, um, that also uh, sort of interacts with the how, like the surface that it actually lands on. So let's see. Uh, yeah, so it says this. those ended up, those phones ended up falling through wooded areas. So they're hitting trees before they, they get to the ground. So that gives them a lot more of a landing surface. It allows them to decelerate a little bit easier than they would just smashing straight into the ground and into concrete. The landing in a wooded area was a bonus. The other one by the side of the road in concrete, not as good. But both phones were able to survive. They still have, you can still see their screens. They still have battery charge. And they were, one of them I think was found using Find My. So pretty incredible. Really uh, shows how durable some some of the phones in your pocket are. If you drop them out of a plane, but maybe not so much. Maybe not so much if uh, if you just drop them out of your pocket. So yeah, so the planes, sorry, the phones survived. And now here we are, We we are, now in this phase of the investigation, right? So before the the door plug flew off the Boeing plane, there was an advisory light on three times. Like I said, maintenance crews never checked on it and that is still being investigated. And this advisory light, they don't know if it's correlated. Quote, we don't know if there was any correlation to the two, said the, um, let's see, who said that? Yeah, so this is from the NTSB. So we don't know if there's any correlation uh, of that light and the accident. It could be entirely separate. Uh, Alaska Airlines then temporarily restricted the plane from being flown over water after the advisory lights, like I said, um, so that it could be easily accessible to the airport. And those maintenance requests were never fulfilled. And how the door broke, so we're looking at um, essentially... Yeah, so the bolts just just broke and uh, the circuit breaker to the cockpit voice recorder was not pulled, so the recorder was therefore empty. Communication was a serious issue. The flight attendants reported that it was difficult to get information from the flight deck 
and the flight deck was also having trouble communicating. The NTSB has interviewed two flight attendants who are at the front of the plane and will interview the two who are in the back of the plane on Monday. That's earlier this week. Uh, the plane seats 178. The 171 people on board included four unaccompanied minors and three babies who were in the laps of their caregivers. Uh, and after the explosive event occurred, the flight attendants were very focused on what was going on with these children. Were they safe? Were they secure? Did they have their lap belts on? And did they have their masks on, the oxygen masks? And they did. So now it's time for the investigation. It looks like we're going to be finding out and following up in a couple of months. But it, it based on what you've heard so far and what I've seen is that there are issues with Boeing's management. There are management decisions that are being made which are causing the planes and production to be lower or less in quality than it would be otherwise. I think there are also issues with the inspection process. And Reuters has now uh, basically is reporting that there's going to be increased uh, scrutiny on Boeing and the FAA to do uh, more diligent checks, more diligent um enforcement of the regulations and there may be regulatory changes also uh, coming up in the pipeline so the problem with boeing is not just engineering it is really a push to make a profit they have not made a profit since 2019 and it seems like corners were cut uh, during the development of these planes now like i said there are 4500 orders they're the most popular order plane right now the 737 max 8 so these will be in the sky you can, when you book flights, you can select, you can see the plane that the flight is going to be on. So like you can, you know, going New York to London, you can see that, okay, this is on an Airbus A320 or a 737 or whatever, the specific model and type of plane that you're going to be flying on. But honestly, I don't think, uh, I mean, I don't think you're going to change your flight patterns based on the type of plane. Um, these are still very safe ways to fly. And I think hopefully these accidents, you would you would think that the earlier accidents where there were fatal crashes would have, uh, you know, caused Boeing to speak up on the mistakes that they made. But hopefully this now gets some independent investigations going on, independent oversight that's better at, you know, really looking through how these planes are being designed and built. Because, you know, 0.2 in a million, those are great odds, 4 in a million, very good odds, but it shouldn't be 20 times worse. Like it should, things should be getting better, not worse. Obviously when you create a new design, there are going to be more accidents, I would say than an older design, because it's not as, you know, fully tested is essentially. It's why new versions of software are buggy, right? Version, you don't want to upgrade, be the first to upgrade a piece of software in a critical system or just even, even on your laptop, you, you kind of want to wait like, Maybe not Mac OS 17, maybe wait till 17.1 or 2. Um, because there are just bugs that need to be shaken out. And uh, so time will tell. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the investigation. Uh, I, you know, my take on it is it's it's pretty wild that in the previous two accidents, Boeing didn't notify the pilots about the MCAS system, how it would react. They weren't trained on it, which is to me just, I think in, this is crazy. Um, so it'll be interesting to see with these bolts, you know, like have other pilots reported these lights, like have, have these also, maybe there's something in the manual or the maintenance crew manuals that say that, you know, if you get these certain lights and certain warning systems, it can be ignored 
and just wait till a regular maintenance or, uh, you know, are the crews, you know, is that the directive from Boeing? We, we don't know a lot of these factors, but it it is clear that there are, you know, issues with the design. Um, and so those planes are going to be grounded and they're going to be investigated. It's going to go back to the drawing board, but, you know, this very well could have easily been a much worse accident. And like I said, it's really a shame when it's, it's negligence or poor engineering or just, you know, bad, low quality parts, whatever it is causing the accident. You know, some things are unavoidable, you know, weather or some freak accidents, but you know, these are things that could be avoided. And yeah, there you go. That's the problem with Boeing. Um, their stock has lost 16 or 70% as of the recording of this episode. I think their stock is going to continue to drop. I think there are going to be management changes. Um, I, I, I hope we get more engineers speaking out. That would be great to learn what's happening. Um, you know, I, I, I think if they're saying that it's, it's really the, the management that is allowing these things to happen, you know, you got to wonder like if the engineers are saying, Hey guys, this is not the best way to build this. This is not safe. You know, a lot of questions have been raised and are being asked and hopefully we get, we get the answers and the fixes and solutions, um, so that we, we all fly safer. I think that's what we want. Um, so yeah, so there you go. Uh, hopefully that's been interesting for you. Just this little, uh, you know, walk down the, the problems of Boeing and what's going on and why jets are getting narrower and quieter hopefully that's been an interesting take for you um i'd like to do more of these kind of explainer sort of episodes they're they're really fun to research and um hopefully i have a couple of guests so that i can sort of explain hopefully that's been clear i hope you check out the video on youtube which has some more information some graphics some things that you can you can actually see um, that might be interesting if you're curious what those engines look like, what the wings look like, what the older designs of the planes look like, and so on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Love to hear your feedback on it. Let me know, did I explain things clearly? Did you get lost? Were you confused? Or was it great? Or, you know, let me know. I'd love to, you know, hear from you. Let me know on Twitter at Fox Nomad. You can also email me, podcast at foxnomad.com. Uh, let's see, Facebook page, Fox Nomad Travel Smarter, Instagram. You know, there's like a zillion ways to get in touch with me. But, you know, the best way, best way, the best way to send me a signal <laughs> is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a comment with that review. It helps us get the word out about the podcast. 2023 was our best year ever. 2022 was the best year before that. And I'm hoping 2024 is even better. So thank you all for your support. Hope you have a great new year. And I'll see you in the next episode.